Well, I want to, before I get into the message, just say to all of you, thank you so much for your prayers for me and for all of my family uh, during this time of loss with my mom. A lot of you know that uh, last Saturday afternoon, my mom went home to be with the Lord. And uh, after a service last Sunday, flew to Atlanta and uh, been with my family uh, there. We had mom service on Tuesday afternoon. In, in, in fact, um, probably uh, what will prove to be uh, the two most difficult days ever in my entire life has been uh, this past week. Probably more difficult than I had uh, imagined it would be, although I had imagined that it it would be quite challenging. It proved to be true. Monday night, my, um, my brother and my two sisters and my stepdad and me were ushered back to a room, and I've been in rooms like this many, many times before as a pastor, of course, and, and we had other family members that were there in the lobby, but they wanted us to go uh, back first, and man, to just walk into that room, and, and the realization to uh, hit that, uh, that mom was gone, and she wasn't coming back, and that was quite emotional, to say the least, and then Tuesday afternoon um, was the service and uh, my uncle did an amazing job. He's a long-term missionary. Uh, many of you know Ron, Ron Maddox, and my mother's brother, and did the service. I had a family eulogy, and the fact that I, I spoke in a way to honor my mom on the behalf of all of us siblings, and that's what I wanted to do, is to honor my mom. And that was a tough, tough day, and driving away from the cemetery, and then a family dinner that evening when we gathered together just to love and support one another and... and uh, I looked in that back room of that restaurant, probably 30 or so of us were there, and just thought, you know, I'm glad we can be here to love and support, but the person who would love being in a setting like this more than anybody, because she always loved having her family around, was mom. Now, I never expected that uh, we would we would have uh, the funerals of my mom and my dad within three and a half months of each other. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I never really liked to think about the, the fact that my parents would one day pass, and, and they were not old. I expected, honestly, to have them around a lot longer. Uh, when Dad passed back in September, he had just turned 71. My mother, when she passed uh, last Saturday afternoon, Mom had just celebrated her 70th, 70th birthday on October the 23rd. And uh, I just never expected to lose them that soon. I've probably cried more in the last few weeks than the entirety of my life combined. And the reason I mentioned all of that on the front part of this talk, because as we're talking about the Beatitudes, the Beatitude, the second one that, and you're going to see the verse in just a moment, really ties into what I've been mentioning to you. Now, we started this series uh, last week. Bill uh, Hackett, Dr. Bill Hackett uh, spoke. He launched us into this series on the Beatitudes. Some of the most incredible, it's from the most famous of all of Jesus' sermons, and it was some of the most powerful teaching embedded within that, service, uh, within that sermon, those eight Beatitudes. And Bill dealt with the first one last week, which is out of Matthew 5.3. It is not on the screen, but this is what he talked about. He talked about this verse, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he did a brilliant job with that. In fact, after the 9.30 service, I knew I had to catch a flight uh, 
afterwards, but uh, I went to Bill and, and I told Bill, I said, man, I've heard you give a lot of talks, but Bill, I think that's one of the best talks I've ever heard you give and one of the best talks I've ever heard. So that was the first week. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now you're about to see the irony of this second beatitude, and I want to talk about it today, and I want you to read this beatitude with me, the second of eight, and we're going to be talking about all eight. Let's read together Matthew chapter 5, 4. The guys are going to put it up here on the screen. Let's read it together. Here we go. God blesses those people who grieve. They will find comfort. Let's read it again. God blesses those people who grieve. They will find comfort. And that's what God is saying. If you're going through a time of grief, you're going through a, a time of loss, you're, you're going to find you're going to find comfort. And um, man, I can really talk about this one uh, more pragmatically and more personally. You know, having led up until, you know, September, because I never really lost anybody real, real close. I lost my grandfather. I was seven years of age, and I remember him, and I actually remember his service, but that's been so many years ago. And having not just recently lost my dad and then my mom, I, I could have spoken uh, to this verse theologically. I, I could have provided some hope, some encouragement, I believe, from this verse and the Beatitudes. But uh, now I have a whole different perspective. And now I'm going to be able to talk to you. And I really want to help you because I know that all of us face losses. And I want to just talk to you very practically and really in many ways out of my heart when God says, I bless those people who grieve and they're going to find comfort. Now, I must admit something to you that you've thought about that I've thought about because it sounds rather absurd to think that God can somehow, that God is able to take our sadness, that God can take our tears, our losses, our sorrows, our grief, and that somehow God could take those things and that God could somehow bless it. But you know what? Either we believe the Bible is true or not. And I believe that by the time we get to the end of this talk, you're going to believe it's true as well. Uh, we really do need to talk this out because it is difficult to understand. We need to think it through. And, and I want to just say to you, you are not going to be able to go the distance of your entire life and somehow escape it. You're just not. I, I don't care how much you love Jesus, how much you pray, how much you read your Bible. There's just no way that you're going to be able to go the entirety of your life and not face pain and problems to go through times of sorrow or sufferings, defeats and disappointments, letdowns and losses. It's just going to happen. Th that is not what we need to talk about. We're not here to discuss today whether or not these things are going to happen. These things are going to happen. How do we know they're going to happen? If you've read the Bible, and most all of you have read the Bible, you know that when you go from book to book, chapter to chapter, page after page, it talks about some of the greatest Christians, some of the greatest believers that have ever lived in all of human history. But there's one thing that they all have in common. They face tremendous challenges in their lives. So we're not real, really going to be talking about, okay, what are, the, what are the challenges? Are we going to face them or not? Are we going to have doubts and disappointments and defeats, losses and letdowns, sorrow and suffering, pain and problems? It's not what we need to be talking about. What we need to talk about, and with God's help, I want to do today, and that is how do we handle these realities when they impact our lives? How do we understand? How do we come to a full understanding that God is able to bless a broken heart? And everybody in this room at some point in your life 
has faced a broken heart. And let me just say this. Let me just say this. If you have not, you will. You will. You may have not faced one yet, but there's coming a time in your life. And, and I know what some of you are thinking. Jeff, I wish you wouldn't say that. But it is true. And so you may be here, and I know how this works because I've done it before myself. You know what? This isn't really pertaining to my life right now. Personally, I'm not really going through this. So I think I'm just going to check out. I'm going to work on my grocery list. I'm going to think about where I'm going to lunch, what project I need to get back on when I go back to work this week. And I'm going to encourage you not to do those things because, listen, friends, you may not need this message today, but I promise you there's coming a time when you're going to need it. And you're going you're gonna to be so glad that you listen intently. And so I just encourage you, go ahead and get your, you know, your tablet, your smartphone ready. I'm going to give you some things here in just a moment. But I want to begin. It's not on the screen. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, this is what we read. Verse 1 says this, there is a time for everything. There is a time for everything. There is, this wisdom writer says, a season for every activity under heaven. And then he gets a little more detailed in verse 4. He said, there is a time to weep and there is a time to laugh. There is a time to mourn and there is a time to dance. Now, what is the Bible telling us here? And I want you to be sure you get this now, friends. All of you get this. The Bible is telling us here that there are going to be times in our life when weeping is entirely appropriate. When weeping is appropriate and grief is the only sensible thing to do. Now, I have believed this for a long, long time. If God had not created us uh, with, with tear dots, he would have never intended for, for us to cry. See, if God didn't know you were going to cry, if God didn't know that there are going to be times in your life where it's going to be incredibly healthy for you to cry, God would say, here's what I'm going to do. I'll create you with tear dots, but then I'm just going to sort of plug them just so that you're never going to be able to cry. You're never going to be able to weep. You're never going to be able to mourn or go through a time of grief. And God did not do that. And grief, by the way, is not just reserved for losing a loved one. There are numerous losses that people face in their life. Some of you are here today, and you're not necessarily walking through what I'm walking through and the fact that you haven't lost your dad or you haven't lost your mom. But some of you, you, you've lost a dream. Others of you, you've lost your job or you've lost your your reputation, and you're like, oh, man, what am I going to do? Others of you have lost a marriage that you did not want to lose. You didn't want your marriage to end. You did everything that you could. You fought to try to save your marriage, but no matter what you did, you still lost your marriage. And so losses don't just pertain to losing a loved one. There's all kind of losses that we can encounter in our life. And the Bible actually encourages us to mourn our losses. Now, some of you have perhaps heard me mention this because I shared it in a talk not too long ago. When my dad passed away back in September, I did a very stupid thing. It is not the most stupid thing I've ever done. It's not the only stupid thing I've done. I've done many stupid things prior to that time, and I will do many stupid things, I'm sure, in the remainder of my life. But I did a very stupid thing, and this is what I told myself. I said, you know what? I'm going to, you know, because a lot of my family were looking at me. I'm the oldest of the siblings and, you know, pastoral type and all of that. So I said to myself, foolishly, this is stupid. I'm not recommending it. But I said, I'm not going to cry. I'm just not going to cry. 
And, and many of you remember that time a few months ago. It was a whirlwind. I was actually up in Illinois. I flew from Illinois to Tampa. Uh, Drew and Tabitha picked me up in, in Tampa, uh, drove me to, uh, to, uh, to Lakeland, packed, um, you know, repacked, and then got in the car and drove straight to Valdosta. And I just said the whole time, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. And that worked really well till I drove by my dad's house. And I cried. And I walked into the funeral home. And I cried. Now, you've got to know that uh, with mom, I'd already learned my lesson. So in her case, I just went ahead and let it rip. I just said, not holding by, going to let it rip. But did you know that grief is actually healthy for us in many ways? Grief rightfully handled is a very, very healthy thing to do. In fact, it's not healthy to stuff it down. Do you know that when you grieve correctly, that it helps you in your emotional health? Do you know that it can help you in your spiritual health, your physical health? health? When you grieve in the way that God intended, it's good for your mental health. So we should not say what we often hear people saying. And people are well-meaning. People don't mean it to come across in the way that it sounds. But for any of you that have ever walked through any kind of loss, whatever that loss may be, probably at some point in time, somebody's come and said this to you, something like this to you, well-meaning though it may have been, have said something like, you know what? You need to just suck it up. You just need to grin and bear it. You just need to push it down. You know, just how, or, or we've said to ourselves, just push it down. Uh, maybe you, like I was doing with my dad, I'm not, I'm just not going to cry. I'm just going to, I'm going to push my grief down. I, I'm just going to, you know, not let it uh, escape. And that's a totally unhealthy d- thing to do. And it only makes things worse. How do we know it makes things worse? Now, this verse is not on the screen, but I want you to listen to it very, very carefully. This is what David said. And he says it in Psalm 39 two. He said this, I kept completely silent. I didn't say anything. I didn't talk about it. He's basically saying, I, I wasn't, com- I just stuffed it on down. He said, but it did no good. He said, listen to what he also added. He said, and I hurt even worse. So grief is a good thing, can be a healthy thing, appropriately managed. Now, remember what Jesus said. This is our second beatitude, and I want to read it one more time. And that is, God blesses those people who grieve. And some of you are grieving. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost a husband or wife, a son or daughter. Maybe you've lost a brother or sister, one of your parents or both of your parents. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost your marriage. Whatever it is. You've, you've experienced loss in your life. Here's what I want to do. I want you to realize that God is able to bless those who grieve and God is able to provide as only God can do supernatural comfort. So here's what I'm going to do in the next few moments. I want to give you, and I want you to be sure you get these down, friend. Again, you may feel like, hey, I don't need this right now, but you're going to need it. I want to give you three ways that God blesses a broken heart. Three ways God blesses a broken heart. I want to show you how that God can bring about real comfort no matter what kind of loss we've encountered in our life. Here's the first thing. You be sure you get it. Here it is now. And that is, it's, uh, it's really sort of in the form of a question, but at the same time, really a declarative statement. And it is this, did you know that God grieves with you? That God grieves with you. Anytime you ever go through a time of grief, no matter what that grief may be, whatever that loss may be, you may feel that God is aloof. You may feel that God is so busy with so many other things happening all over this world that God is so busy. He doesn't understand the depth of your pain. He doesn't know the agony of your grief. But I want to assure you, friends, when you are grieving, God is grieving 
with you. The Bible's clear on this. We do not think that he does. We do not think that he's tied into what we feel. It does not seem logical to us that Jesus could ever feel our pain or our sadness or our sorrow, but he understands it. He understands it fully. In fact, there's a verse that maybe you've not looked at for some time or maybe never before, and this is what Isaiah says about Jesus. Look at it here on the screen. Isaiah 53.3 says this. He, speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected. Jesus was a man of what? Say it with me. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with what? Deepest grief. And so Jesus does understand. Whatever losses you have encountered in your life, Jesus does. I assure you, friends, Jesus does actually feel your pain. And he's never going to come to you. And and he's never going to come and say, well, you know, I I just want you to know that I'm here, and I'm right here, and and everything's going to be okay, but I don't have any idea what you're going through. Jesus is never going to say that. Jesus is never going to come to you and going to say, well, you you know what my word says is accurate and I'm dialed into what's going on in your life, but I've just got to tell you, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand it at all. He's never going to say to you, just deal with it. Jesus is never going to say to you, stop crying. Now, a lot of times we've done that with our kids, haven't we? Or we do that with our kids and we just say, stop that. I want you to stop that crying, cut it out. But, you know, and, and probably there are occasions where we need to sort of have them you know, stop their crying. But the reality is crying is a natural thing. And so we should not be so quick to always shut down their crying because God doesn't shut down our crying. If you want to know how Jesus reacts to grief and loss and sadness, then look no further than in John chapter 11. And I want you to look at these four verses on the screen. John 11, starting at verse 33, and look at what it says. It says, when Jesus saw Mary, Mary's the the sister of Lazarus. By the way, Mary's the name of my mother. When Jesus saw Mary crying and the Jews who came with her also crying, he was upset and was deeply troubled. We might would say in our own vernacular that Jesus was emotional, that Jesus got really emotional. And then Jesus asked, where did you bury him? Come and see, Lord, they said. Obviously, Jesus wasn't there at the time of burial. Come and see, Lord, we'll show you. And it says in this next two words, read it with me. Jesus cried. What's it say? Jesus cried. Other translation says Jesus wept. Jesus cried. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how much Jesus, read these last two words, see how much Jesus loved him. Now listen, friends, all of these verses are important, but these last two verses are really, really important, and they deserve our focused attention. It tells us these two verses, verses 35 and 36, shows us very clearly two things that Jesus did then and that Jesus does again and again, and that is that Jesus cried and that Jesus loves. Now, why do I mention that? See, a lot of times when people cry, we say something like this. We even say, and I've said this, you know, that uh, concerning myself, not of anybody else. You know, if I cry, like I was saying with my dad, if I cry when my, you know, when my siblings are expecting me to be strong, that's going to be a sign of weakness. But you know what I've come to more and more understand? Listen now, friends, and this, these two verses back it up. Tears are not a sign of weakness. Tears are actually a sign of love. Let me say that again. Tears are not a sign of weakness. Tears are actually a sign of love. I I walked in on Monday night along with, again, my my two sisters and my brother and my stepdad, and I walked in, and when I turned the corner, I saw 
my, my mom's casket there at the other end of the room. And uh, I, uh, I just walked toward her, and I just, the whole time I'm walking, every step, every pace, was just, I was just reminded how much I love my mom. And I went and stood over here, and her, and as soon as I did, I mean, I, I walked right up, and as soon as I did, the tears began to flow. Why? Because I felt weak in that moment. I didn't feel weak in that moment. I felt God's power. I felt God's strength. My tears were not a sign of weakness. My tears were a sign of love because the deep love that I have for my mom. And I looked at her, and by the way, my mom was so absolutely beautiful. She really was. And my mom was a very, very detailed. If you think I'm organized, my mom puts me to shame. My mom was very detailed, very organized, very OCD, really. In fact, any OCD traits that uh, us have, uh, we kids have, it's highly attributed to mom. Every little OCD quirk we've got, we can point directly back to mom. And, And mom... You know, uh, some of you maybe have heard me mention this. Mom was very detailed, very organized. She had actually had worked at this funeral home, and so she had written out very specifically in a very organized fashion what she wanted. And, and this, while we were seated a couple of weeks ago with the funeral director, the owner of the funeral home, he said, your mom was very specific, said, and, and then he began to read, your mom said that whenever, and she wrote this 16 years ago, and she said in her notes, whenever I pass, I want so-and-so to do my hair. He looked up from the file, and he looked at us, and he said, this person now lives in Florida. Again, this has been 16 years ago. He said, but we'll get, he knew your mom. He loved your mom. We'll get him up here, and he'll do your mom's hair. And he did. She had written in her notes. This this is so typical of my mom. I want so-and-so, name somebody else, don't remember the name. I want them to do my makeup using my makeup, not just my makeup. I want so-and-so to do my nails. And, and all these people did this and other things that she had written. And I walked up, and I stood there, and she looked so beautiful. My mom's small lady, very petite lady. My aunt told me because when I was making some notes, I, I said, I'm just curious, how much? Because mom... mom uh, had turned 17 October the 23rd. I was born December 3rd, that many days after her 17th birthday. Very small. I said, Judy, my aunt, I said, hey, I know mom's always been small. How much did mom weigh when she became pregnant with me? She said, Jeff, your mom, and she wasn't even quite five foot tall. She said, Jeff, your mom did not weigh more than 85 pounds when she got pregnant with you. And she was so excited about having having a child. Now, it's a wonder I do not have a complex today because when she went into hard labor, she changed her mind. She was actually on Judy's couch, and Judy said she actually laid back on the couch and started saying, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. I changed my mind, but it was was too late. (laughs) And I stood looking at my mom, and I cried. She's so beautiful. My tears were not a sign of weakness. They were a sign of love. Some people think that only we people cry, yet Jesus, the strongest man who ever lived, was not afraid to cry. And when we cry, you've got to know he cries with us just like he did with the friends and sisters of Lazarus here in John chapter 11. And he also comforts us. He doesn't say, I don't understand, because he does understand. A man of sorrows and acquainted with deep grief. He doesn't say, I understand. You know what he says? You're crying and I'm crying with you. And I'm going to comfort you. 
In fact, this is what Isaiah 61 says, speaking of Jesus. And Jesus says this, he has sent me to comfort all who mourn. So how does God respond to the brokenhearted? How does God help us to deal with the challenges that we're going to face in our lives? First of all, God grieves with us. Secondly, and I want you to be sure, stay dialed in here now. I want you to be sure you get this second one. When we're in grief, God uses people to help us. God uses people to help us. I've got to tell you, I don't know what I would have done these last few months without my physical family and without my church family. I've got my immediate family that's been incredibly strengthening to me. I've got some of the most unbelievable aunts and uncles and cousins that you could ever imagine. In fact, that evening after my mom's service, we gathered in this uh, restaurant, the back room, and there were probably 30 of us, at least 30 of us there. Somebody had made reservations. We met there. We were going to spend some time together, and I was seated at the end of the table, and I could see all the way around this whole room, and I could look at all of my family members, and I sat there thinking, I am so blessed to have a family like this, and they've been a tremendous blessing. But then my church family, you, I can't even begin to tell you the number of cards and text messages and emails that I've received over the last several days. There's a wonderful couple in our church. They were in the last service, Mike and Pam. And Mike had come uh, to me because my mom had passed away last Saturday. I, I had announced before I introduced Bill last week that my mom had passed. And he said to me, he said, when is your mom's service going to be? I'd mentioned it was going to be in Atlanta. And I said, it's going to be Tuesday. And I, I thought he's just being curious. And, and he said, I'm going to be working in my office in Atlanta this week. So we're gathered in a room, getting ready to go out as a family. We've just prayed. And I look up, and here's a guy from our church in Atlanta, drove one and a half hours from one side of the city to the other just to be there for a 45-minute service. I looked up and I saw Pastor Blackburn and Dan McBride who had jumped on a plane that morning, flew to Atlanta, went to the service, went back to the airport, flew home. And I think, I am so blessed. And all of us, I mean, we're a family. When you, when you think about it, this is not, and I hope you understand this, this is not just church. This is not just Sunday. This is not we gather at this time at 11 o'clock or 9.30, whatever. Uh, it's not about that. It's, it's about us being a family. Just listen to some of these incredible verses from Romans chapter 12. Listen to these verses. Verse 5, not on the screen. It says, Paul is writing, he said, In Christ we who are many, a lot of us, he's talking about us, we who are many, there's a lot of us, but we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Did you know this? Did you know that because we're a part of a church family together, that you belong to me, and I belong to you? We're a family, and family stays together in the good times, in the bad times. You remember what we read early in Ecclesiastes? There's a time to weep, and there's a time to dance. There's a time to mourn, and there's a time to rejoice. But we're one body. We're a family. Verse 10, skipping down. It says, be devoted to each other like a loving family. And that's what a church ought to be, a loving family. Verse 15, going down just a few other verses from there. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Friends, I want you to understand this. Please hear me when I tell you that God never intended for you to carry heavy burdens all by yourself. He never intended that. He never intended that you would go through grief all alone. 
See, some of you right now, you're just thinking, I've, I've got a pain in my life. I've got loss in my life. I'm going through a time of grief because you lost something that has been so meaningful to you. It may not be like me, a family member. It may be one of these other things that I mentioned a few moments ago. And let me just say this. You need friends. You need friends when you go through a time of loss. You just do. You, you need a physical family. If you happen to have a physical family that is there, consider yourself extraordinarily blessed. But you know what else you need? You also need a church because the church is the body of Christ. The church is the family of God. Listen, friends. Listen. Hear me when I, hear me when I say this now. Listen. Listen. I do not know. I do not know how people go through tremendous adversity and challenges in their life. I do not know how people go through challenges like that without God and without a church family. I don't. Does that make sense to anybody here? Just wave at me like this. Does that make sense to you? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea how somebody can go through a loss without a, without a church, without a family, without God. You need friends. You need a physical family. You need a church I, I know you probably at times, you get here to me, uh, tired of hearing me say, you need to be involved in a small group. And here in just a couple of weeks, I'll be standing up here and saying, you need to be involved in a small group. You need to be known and to know other people. You need to love others and be loved by others. You need to be involved in a small. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that? Because the curriculum is good. And that is true. We hope to offer great curriculum every time our small groups come together and meet. But you know what it is? More so than that, you need people. People who are going to show up in your life when you face a crisis. And you haven't faced maybe a crisis yet, but you will. You mark it down. And you're going to be so glad that you've got people in your life that can help you to walk through us. All of us, listen now, all of us need comfort. All of us need comfort. Or we need to be a comforter to somebody else. All of us need comfort or if, and, and you may be in one of those places where you just say, man, you know, Jeff, what you're talking about is so foreign to me. I'm just at a great place and I'm just at a really, really, things are really going well in my life. Everything is up and to the right and I'm just going to ride this wave as long as I can. And you know what? Ride it as long as you can. You need to ride that wave as long as you can. And you may be in a place where you don't need comfort right now. And if that be true, listen, that does not mean that you need to shift your life into neutrality. It does not mean that you need to sit idly by. I want to be so, so, so clear when I say this to you. If you're not needing comfort, then you need to be busy comforting somebody else. You need to be busy. Your life is not just saying, hey, I'm just going to ride this out. Now, a lot of you, and I I understand this. Again, I told you I was going to talk. Not just theologically, but I was going to talk personally and practically to you. I understand losing parents now. I I do. It's not that I did not empathize and sympathize before. I did. Anytime that I knew, and with many of you, in fact, this morning, uh, standing out in the lobby earlier, I'd see people walk in, and I'd say, man, I remember when they lost their mom. I remember when they lost their dad. I remember when they lost their loved one. I remember when they lost their job. I remember when they lost their marriage. I remember, and I could, I could remember losses that had been encountered in their life. And you know what, friends? The reality is I've always felt empathy for somebody that lost a loved one, but I never, never could feel it at the depth that I feel it now. I'd say to my friends, I've got friends, many of them, that lost their moms. And I would say, I'm so sorry, and I meant it. I'd say, I'm going to be praying for you, and I meant it, but I understand it now. 
You know, there are some of you that have lost children. I can't even imagine the pain of that. But this is what I know. I know that God's going to walk with you and God's going to help you. And when God heals you, there will come a time in your life that nobody will be able to help parents who have lost a child like you're able to because you've lost a child. Nobody's going to be able to help somebody to walk through a divorce, but you have faced a divorce you did not know. Nobody's going to be able, and and you know, how do we know this? Just look at this verse on the screen. In fact, I want you to read it with me. Everybody now, read this verse with me. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says this, He comforts us every time we have trouble, so when others have trouble, we can comfort them with the same comfort God gave us. Listen, you either need comfort, or if you don't, you need to be busy comforting other people. You with me? Wave your hand so I know you're still awake and somebody doesn't need to smack you in Jesus' name and bring you back to life. All right? Lastly, one more thing, and it's really important. Always remember that heaven is permanent and life here on earth is temporary. Always remember. Always, always, always remember. Heaven is permanent and life on earth is temporary. Now, let me ask you a question, all right? You've been listening. You've been listening well. I believe intently you've been listening. But let me just ask you a question, and and then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I want you to think about right now, take your current age and think about how long do you want to live? How long do you want to live on this earth, all right? So I'm going to ask, take a moment, just think about it. And now I'm going to ask you, how many of you, you just sort of zeroed in on a number. How many of you, you'd say, I I want to live, the number that comes to me, I I want to live to be 80 years old. I'd love to be 80 years old. All right. All right. Some of you. How many of you, you know, the number that most represents 90 years old. Let me see. You'd like to live to be 90. All right. All right. How many, of, how many of you would say, you know what, why, you know, if I'm going to live that long, why not add another decade to it? I think I'd like to, to live to be 100. I want to see the hands of all greedy people who are just like me and just says, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to live to be 100. And maybe you will, and I hope you will. I hope you will. I hope that maybe somebody has set the Guinness World Book of Records and you will live to be like 134. But I want to be very, very clear when I say this to you. If you live to be 80 or you live to be 90 or if you happen to live to be 100 years old, I want you to know that is nothing compared to eternity, compared to heaven. It's nothing. Your time here is going to pass much quicker than you think. It is. I'm just telling you. Your time here is going to pass much quicker than you think. How many of you already feel like life is just flying by? How many of you feel that way? I mean, I feel that way. I feel, some of you probably feel like I do. I feel like I just graduated from high school yesterday. But it's been 20 years now. Okay. Did I say at least 20 years or did I just say 20? Okay. Your time here is nothing compared to the millions and millions of years that you will spend in heaven if you're a Christian. There's a verse in the Bible that I've been thinking a lot about this week, and I want you to take a look at it. It's up here on the screen. I'm getting ready to close up this talk, by the way, and it's this verse right here. I've been thinking a whole lot about it. It says this. It's Paul again. He says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died, 
We don't want you to grieve like other people who have no hope. Do you notice, keep that up, guys, for just a moment. Do you notice there's not a period behind grief? Grieve. It doesn't say we do not want you to grieve, period. It's okay to grieve. It's healthy to grieve. What it says is we don't want you to grieve like other people who have no hope. And that matters a whole lot. When we got into our vehicles to leave the cemetery on Tuesday afternoon, I cannot even begin to describe to you the profound sense of sadness that I felt. For the longest time, I'd walk back with my family to the car. People were standing around talking, and I couldn't help. I just found myself looking at that beautiful white casket that my mother was in, covered with these beautiful red roses, and saying to myself, this is it. This is it. Kenley, our granddaughter, who's three years old, asked a question. She said, why is little Mamma staying in her box outside? Why? Man, you wonder that. I, uh, prior to the service, Kenley, again, who's three, we didn't realize it, but uh, she had actually, this is prior, and we're talking to some people as they come in, and I'm pretty close to the front of the chapel there, and I didn't realize that Kenley had slipped away, and she had walked right up to where mom's casket was. I, I didn't know until it was sent to me later that somebody had actually sent a photo of what you're about to see because Kinley was standing there and she was looking up and I walked over to her and I picked her up and I said, Kinley, I said, do you want to see little Mamma? And she shook her head yes and I picked her up. Somebody, we'll just put it up for just a moment and this was that picture. And Kinley said what we all thought. Kinley said... I wish little Mamma could open her eyes. I wish she would open her eyes. And we all felt the same way. My mom, honestly, she looked like I could have just reached out and took her shoulder and just shook it for just a moment and she would wake right up. Now, why did I mention that? You can take that away now. But I've spent years studying the Bible in college. I've read it cover to cover so many times before. I have prepared and delivered hundreds and hundreds of talks from the Bible, yet I still needed to remind myself in that moment that my mom was not in that box, nor was she in that hole in the earth, but to be reminded that my mom is in heaven with Jesus. Do I grieve? Yes, I do. But as Paul said, I I grieve, but I'm not hopeless. Do I cry? Of course I cry. I cried then and I've cried since, but the tears are not for mama. My tears are for my family, for me, because we're going to terribly miss her. Now, there's one last verse. I don't want the guys to put it up yet, but this verse is for all of you who have experienced loss in your life. It's a verse that is so encouraging to me because it reminds me what it's like for my mom because in those moments when I get especially sad and I realize I'm you know, mom's not going to be at the house anymore. Mom's not going to be with us. Mom's not going to be in these family events that we will gather at in the future. I remind myself where my mom is. And you're going to see this verse. And for those of you who have lost loved ones, it's going to encourage you. 
Others of you, you're going through time right now that is so tough. Life seems almost unbearable to you. And you've wondered, when is the pain going to end? When is the misery going to be over? Am I always going to be faced with this challenge? Is this going to be my lot for all time and eternity? And I just say to you, it is not. There's coming a time when your pain and your tears and your sadness and your sorrow and your hurt and your grief is going to be no more. This is an incredible verse. I want you to look at it with me. Revelation 21.4 says, And God will wipe all tears from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain. These things of the past are gone. How long? Forever. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? If you're here today and you're just going through a time of loss in your own life, you've lost a loved one, you've lost your reputation, you've lost your job, you've lost your health, you've lost your marriage, you've lost something that is so meaningful to you, and you're just saying, you know what, I, I believe that God feels my pain. I believe that Jesus was a man of sorrow and acquainted with deep grief. I believe he knows what I'm going through right now, and I just need God to heal me. I just need God to give me some hope. Maybe you're like me. You grieve, but you do not grieve as those who have no hope. But you need God to touch you. You need God to strengthen you and encourage you today. If that's you, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want you to just stand to your feet right where you're at, and I'm going to pray for you right where you're standing. Just stand up right now, and I'm standing. If I had been seated, I would have been standing right now, right with you. I'd be standing up right alongside of you. And I'd be saying, man, pray for me. Pray for me. And I want to pray for you right here, right now. God loves you. Jesus cried and Jesus loved. And he cares about what you're going through. He cares about your pain and your problems, your letdowns and your losses, your suffering, your sorrow, your disappointments, your despair. He cares about all those things. He wants to touch you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this wonderful song together. Soon as I pray, but I don't want you to leave because I'm going to come back right after the song. Close us out. Father, you know our pain. You know our sadness. You know our grief. And God, we thank you that in those moments, you do not stand distant from us. You do not stand aloof from us. You do not say, I don't understand. You don't say, suck it up, deal with it. You move in. And you grieve with us. And you send people into our lives to help us, to comfort us. You put us in a church family, a sense of belonging. You remind us that all the pain and all the sadness and tragedy that we face on earth is only temporary. That even if we live to be 100 years old, it is nothing because we're going to spend millions and millions of years with you in heaven. And we thank you for that. Heal, touch, minister, encourage every person that is standing right now, in Jesus' name. Now, everybody else, let's stand, and let's sing this song together, and then I'm going to come back in just a moment and close this out. So you hang steady. Can we sing it together? What a beautiful
agree, that's a powerful, powerful name. And Jesus is a powerful person. And we belong to him, and we belong to each other. That's what makes a church so great. Father, we thank you for these moments that we've had together. I pray that your people have been strengthened and encouraged, and that we will leave this place today knowing that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And when we're in the lowest moments of our life, we can always turn and know that you are right there with us. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. I love you, everybody. Have an awesome week.